Matt, thank you so very much for doing this session. Now, Matt, am I right in saying that if there was a Game of Thrones for Obstacle Course Race Media, news coverage, live updates, and hybrid coverage as well, you would comfortably be sitting on the throne of the Game of Thrones for Obstacle Course Race. What do you think of that? Wow. No one has ever said that. I am so honored. Uh, but yes, uh, that would be that would be me. Uh, I would be the, o the OG. But, you know, I don't know. Like... I don't know if that's a good place to be, right? Because people want to like come after the king, and you know, there's always, there's always, uh, what do you call it? There's always trouble brewing, right? People trying yeah. to overthrow. Uh, but sure. I mean, competition is great as long as it is healthy competition. And yes, you know, I, I, I agree. I yeah, agree. and looking at the number of followers that you have, I think you have well past forty thousand followers on Instagram. So we are nowhere close to you know, one-tenth of where you are. And as you said, you know, you're one of the OGs in the obstacle course race with over a decade. And you also have a phenomenal podcasting experience as well. Now, I did a bit of research and I also found out that you've written a book called Down and Dirty, The Essential <laughs> Training Guide for Obstacle Course Race and Mud Runs. So thank you so very much for doing everything that you're doing in the obstacle course race community, as well as in the podcasting space as well. So thank you for doing this session. Really, really appreciate it, Matt. Well, you're super welcome. Now, to our listeners in Dubai, before we get a bit about you, just wanted to find out, you know, how's your day been so far? And what is the thing that you're looking forward to for in 2024 in obstacle course race and hybrid fitness as well? Wow. Well, you know, uh, this today is a holiday here. It's Martin Luther King Day, which means my kids are home from school. So I'm in a co-working space, uh, which I really like. It's close to my house. It's relatively inexpensive. They've got free coffee. Um, okay. and, uh, I, I think I'm someone that gets a little like depressed in the winter, like days are shorter and I sleep more. And now that the calendar has turned and the sun is moving a little bit, you know, higher in the sky or however that phrase works that the day, I guess the days are getting a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm very happy, uh, cause we're kind of through that portion. You know what I mean? Like. I know, like Americans, you know, we treat the holidays like once Thanksgiving hits, which is third week of November, then it all kind of comes at once, right? And people stop working and people stop paying when they said they were going to pay. And everything <laughs> just kind of has this, well, we'll see what happens in 2024 kind of thing. So I'm very happy that we're now in this part of the year. I actually just had a call earlier today about a trip I might take later this year. Um, so what I'm excited for specifically is just everything kind of up and running, right? So there's more podcasts to do. There's more people to talk to. There's more events happening. Uh, so that's the kind of place that I'm in, in this like, okay, let's start our engines as it were. And am I right in saying that the first OCR or Spartan race to be precise is at least two weeks from now in Florida? Am I right in getting the dates correct? What I was saying was I was pulling up the schedule because <laughs> I keep track of these things. And the first race of 2024 for Spartan is on the 27th of January in Southern California. So they have a lot of races in Southern California and Northern California because the weather is good. So it'll be a trifecta weekend uh, in Southern California. Then, uh, then they do one in Arizona. Those are typically the first two right? Arizona, mm -hmm. also on the western side of America, very warm this time of year. Uh, and then Jacksonville is on the 24th, and that is the first 
uh, of the series races, which uh, Spartan has a series where uh, the top racers will make some money at the end of the year if you place well in the series. So that's where the Spartan schedule is. Okay, got it, got it. Do okay. you guys race year-round there? Is it hot all the time? No, just towards October to, let's say, March, to be precise. Because it does get ridiculously hot, let's say, from April till September. Okay. You literally can't even walk, forget about racing. But they have planning to have, you know, DECA events and hybrid fitness events indoor. You know, because of DECA kicking in, you know, hopefully you might be seeing quite a lot of events during that time. But uh, six months absolutely you can't even walk forget about running you know so it's going to be absolutely magical but that's a good but that's a good window then for to, for people to cash in on the hybrid side yeah 100 percent, yeah that's what you know i was speaking to De um yancy Kulp as well and i was telling him that's one of the benefits of having indoor events isn't it and dubai as such i'm in dubai dubai is a relatively small city you have Abu Dhabi as well, and you have different Emirates as well. And one of the Emirates called as Umail Queen, um, you know, Knox from uh, OCR Knox coach. Okay. Ryan Atkins, Ryan Atkins coach. Oh, uh, oh, Graham. That Graham. Graham. He had a session in one of the Emirates called as Umail Queen. And this weekend, they're having the first obstacle course race at that place, which is a four kilometer event. Okay which equals to roughly around 1.5 to 2 miles. So, you know, that is a little bit of information about obstacle course race in the Middle East. As you know, there's no more Spartan race, at least for now. Hopefully, we might find some alternatives. In... Now, no matter to our listeners, particularly in UAE, can you give us a brief introduction about yourself? I'm pretty much sure people in the US, probably in Canada, even in UK, they know about your history. But to our listeners in the UAE, can you tell us a bit about yourself? And am I right in saying that you have another podcast as well called as the Atlanta podcast? Yeah, so I did. So I think the first thing that I want to say, mm-hmm. if anybody wants to start a business or start creating content, whether it's podcast or YouTube, um, just sticking with it is like 95% of it. So. This many years in, I've outlasted almost all of my competition. Certainly, anybody that started when I started is long gone. And Mm -hmm. there's been newer shows that have come, and some have stuck around. And there's some other great content out there. I really like uh, what Race Brain does, which is a great podcast if you you like obstacle racing and hybrid content. But just staying the course and just not quitting is, not. I feel like, 99% of it. Because... You know, once upon a time, I was five years into it and people thought like, oh, wow, well, you're really, you've really done this a long time and, you know, you earn that much respect. And then as time goes on, you just earn more and more respect and you have more and more relationships. And so moving from obstacle to hybrid has been relatively easy for me because I brought all this experience from the obstacle side from just never quitting. So I just want to say, first of all, that's like one of the biggest keys to success, just stay on the road right so i did a podcast in in 2012 um i had done a spartan i had done a tough mutter i was fascinated by these people doing this thing called the death race this guy Mm -hmm. called joe this like who is this guy he's this crazy like stock trader adventure runner that started spartan and what is this thing and 
you know, I'm just the kind of guy that would do that. Like just, there was a guy that I knew that was going that I didn't know that well. And I said, can I like try to crew for you with this death race? I don't know how it works. And I flew up there and I spent the weekend in Vermont and I was like, uh, I'd like to be around this more and I want to talk to people more. So I'm going to start a podcast. The same reason anybody starts the podcast, the same reason you started a podcast because you thought you had something to say. You wanted to create something cool and fun, not because you think you're going to get rich. For the most part, that's, I think, why people start these things. And then, you know, it was a lot easier to cut through the noise because there just wasn't as much, right? There wasn't that much content. And so I did a really good job and I was consistent and I did shows every week and I was posting on Facebook all the time and writing. And so I quickly kind of became like, oh, well, you're the guy to talk to for these things. So when there'd be an article in a magazine, uh, I would get called for a quote. I got asked to write a book and that's why I wrote that book. Uh, there was a documentary made called Rise of the Sufferfest. I was asked to be one of the talking heads for that. So um, that's kind of what happened. And, you know, I had a different business at the time and somewhere along the way, I decided to kind of see if I could make a living at this. And so that's what happened. And so here we are all these years later, I've done, you know, hundreds of races and talked to thousands of people. And I, I get to wake up and do this every day. And I'm super grateful every day I wake up and I have a conversation like the one you and I are having, or I'm editing something, or I'm uh, making some fun social media posts. Like I really like my job and that helps a lot when, you know, as when you're a business owner, sometimes money is not as consistent. And so the fact that I like my job helps yeah. that a lot. And at the end of the corporate world, there's this saying that, you know, let work be a reward, not a way to reward. And what I tend to do is, you know, Matt, in my blockchain DXP podcast, which is more to do with corporate, I try to identify, you know, is that your passion or is it something that you're good at? That you're one of the few people who have passion for podcasting. At the same time, you're good at it as well. So, you know, as long as people can combine both those things, a lot of them uh, do actually think that you know we need to go to follow the passion but you're not good at it but in your case clearly you're good at it and i think a listener should know that when i asked matt i asked him that you know do you want me to go out and send you the questions and he actually replied no don't send me the questions it's no fun that way and that is absolutely genius and that is something to be honest not now maybe six months down the line i'll definitely go out and incorporate well here here's the great news <laughs> there's no there's no wrong way to do it and i think that preparation is good yeah. Okay. And how you do that is up to you. So uh, if you, I once heard a podcast series that had a whole series of different um, people on it. And some of them were extremely organized. So they had an A track of questions and a B track in case somewhere along the A track it ran off. And some yeah. people say, you know what, I just show up and roll. And that's how I do it. Um, once upon a time, I would write down two or three questions that I knew I wanted to hit. And then I found myself almost always just hitting them anyway. But that's how I, I prepare. I want to know just enough about a guest. That's my style. So if I'm talking to whether they're famous, which I've gotten to talk to some famous people or regular people, you know, I look up their bio and I look at their late, what they have going on lately. So I have just enough, but if I, if I learn as the audience learns, that's fun for me, but some people they really prepare. And I've been asked before, 
I guess, would you like, you know, can you send me the questions in advance? And I always just say, what fun is that? With a little winky face. And they usually yeah. appreciate it, right? Yeah. But it's fine if they don't. It's fine. But but um, there's definitely no right way to do this. And I'm also a much better interviewer, video maker, social media. I'm also better than I was 10 years ago, right? So you just have to start where you are, right? I didn't have, like, I'm talking on a relatively new laptop today and like mm -hmm. that's not what I had when I started. So, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. As I said, you know, you're definitely the OG in the space. You know, I'm sure I'm definitely going to learn a couple of things from you as well. Now, Matt, take us back to the very first obstacle course race that you did, because if I'm not mistaken, that was Warrior Dash in 2010, right? Oh my goodness, yeah. So, in 2010, I was talking to this group of guys, and he had a flyer, and oh man, what I would pay if I could find this, because like. This isn't even the internet. This is a fucking flyer. Pardon my French. I don't <laughs> no, know if you curse yeah. on here. You beat things out. A piece of paper that said, run three miles, you know, eat a turkey leg. It just was like this kind of like manly fun thing, right? Drink a beer. I don't drink, but that was, so I went with a bunch of guys and we didn't even train for it. I mean, we got together and ran a mile a few times, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't deco simulations you know what i mean it was pretty yeah. easy and we go to this thing and i was so worried about being cold right it was may of 2010 and it was it was two hours north so we met on a sunday we drove up there and we get in there we just you know you you got in the starting line and there's like 300 people this is like 10,000 people a day would do this. They'd have 20,000 people over the weekend. It was insane. It was so crazy. It was so popular. So you're standing in this pit with like 300 people. People are dressed up. People have makeup on. Crazy guys are shirtless. And this fire thing goes up and you can feel the fire. You're like, whoa. And then you just start running. And you're like, oh, here's some tires we're going through. Like, here's a net we're climbing up. I mean, it was all brand new. I did not know what I was doing. And we finished. And everybody had their beer. And I was like, well, that was fun. But it didn't change my life. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't inspire me to get in shape. It was just a fun thing. Yeah. Now, fast forward a year and a half, and I started seeing these ads on Facebook for Tough Mudder for Spartan. I watched this Tough Mudder video, and I'm terrified. I'm like ten miles, shock, ice water. No way I would do that. And then in the fall of 2011, a friend of mine said hey, I'm going to do it. Like we were doing like goals for the new year. He said, I'm going to run a Tough Mudder. And I said, well, you're really out of shape. And so, and a little fatter than me. So if you can do it, I can do it. So we signed up, 10 of us did it. And we got to the ice water obstacle. It was a 30 degree day, 40 degree day, really cold. And we jump in the ice and something happened. I came out a different person. I was like, <laughs> Oh my God, I can do anything. That's really how I felt at the end of this thing. And I did a Spartan two weeks later or three weeks later. And then that death race was that June and I was off. I was just signing up and we started a Facebook group. And I'm really fortunate that I was at the birth of this thing. And you don't really know it at the time. Like it just, it's just what we were doing. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. we knew, we knew that this thing was relatively new, but you know, looking back again, it's not like there was no guarantee that this thing was going to grow. It's just, we just thought that it would. 
And then every year, you know, for a long time, it was going straight up. It was more races, more events, more sponsors, yeah. um, you know, until it flattened out there. And now hopefully it might be in part of the Olympics as well in the next maybe couple of years as well. Well, I have a lot of opinions on that. That's it's it's not really obstacle racing. It's more like a little True. ninja course, but yeah, it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> but it is yeah. crazy to think that we talked about it. Like, will we be in the Olympics one day? And here we are. We actually are sort of in the Olympics. And you know, Matt, what changes you have observed? Let's say in terms of the participants. Let's say the number of the age group of people participating, the quality of athletes back then to right now, because right now. You have some real elite athletes competing at Spartan Race and Tough Mudder Infinity as well, you know, which I'll be asking a few questions later on about. So when it started, you know, it was just it I think it attracted a lot of what you know, what in America we call weekend warriors, right? Not yeah. necessarily fitness people, but people that want to kind of like do something crazy. So I was 40 years old when I did my first obstacle race. And I think that was very common. People in their 30s and 40s, it wasn't a lot of young people. Um, and it was really high percentage of men. And then over the next couple of years, they they like, hey, we got to get more women in here. You know what I mean? Like, what are we doing? Now, I will say, one thing I'm very proud of, as a sport, men and women have always been paid equally. And there's always been an attention to get coverage of both. And I know that in other sports, that's not always the case. So I got to say, OCR, whatever the prize money was, it's gone up and down. It's always been men and women get the same. Sometimes the coverage wouldn't be as great because their women would run second. But we always, they always tried. Like when Spartan had their show on NBC, right? One race would focus a lot on the men. The next race, they'd focus a lot on the women, the shows as, as it were. But it started to attract like people who, like whose running career had ended, like they were a few years out of college and they're like, wait a minute, well, I can run fast. And I was always kind of a strong runner and I'm, I think I'm going to do well at this. And so I think it, it attracted that kind of athlete. People weren't really coming from other sports. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the comparisons that I see with hybrid that the best Hyrox athletes are coming. They're not just off the couch and they hadn't yeah. done anything in a couple of years out of college, they were a swimmer in college, uh, what we call division one, which is the top. They, they were volleyball players. They were skiers or runners or, uh, you know, weightlifting or straight from CrossFit. Like we're seeing a lot of uh, OCR has always just kind of been this weird hodgepodge. You'd have guys that weren't, didn't really compete at any level growing up. And then they found themselves to be one of the better people at this so yeah and and during the pandemic era what changes have you seen particularly in us because a lot of people particularly in the middle east we want to find out what are the changes you know in us in a, from an obstacle course race point of view prior to the pandemic and after pandemic one change which i've noticed at least in the uae the number of people joining in have drastically fallen down that's yes. both from spartan race tough murder and other competing obstacle course race in the middle east as well so I'm about to release uh, a report here with the numbers. Mm -hmm. And the good news is, is that Spartan uh, 24, um, sorry, 23 is about the same as the previous year. It hadn't dropped. But okay. 22, 
So sorry, 21, 22, 23 are all far less than before the pandemic, but it's it's hanging on. So for quick history lesson, the numbers went straight up, right? So at, at the peak, 2015, 16, you were looking at 400,000 people, right? And that had gone up from, uh, that's, that's just Spartan race, just say Spartan race, which means- All over the world, is that, or just no, in that's the US? just US, right? Just US. Okay about 400,000 finishers over the course of a year, right? Which is a pretty good number. Um, and then that started to drop or about the same until the pandemic. Now, last year, you're looking at, let's say 250, right? Which again, is not nothing. You know what I mean? It's, yes, it's a far cry from that peak, but a quarter of a million people is a lot of people doing your race. And that's just Spartan. That's not counting Savage or Tough Mudder or these other Rugged Maniac or smaller brands or not counting all around the world, right? So um, is the I think the industry is steady. Um, Spartan has definitely put less money and effort into the professional side, into the elite payout side. And I don't know how much you want to talk about that. But I think for the average person that wants to, if I live in, you know, uh, Dallas, New Jersey, Seattle, you know, Boston, and I want to do a race, I can do one. My race, my weekend has a trifecta. Um, and I think that's another big one, big one that Spartan figured out. We don't need to be in 50 or 60 cities. We can do 40 cities and make a lot of them trifectas. Let me just quickly find this really quickly. Trifecta. Hang on. Let me tie oh, hang on. This isn't working. Edit. Find trifecta Let's see how this goes are you checking it on your own website because on your own website you have quite a lot of useful information is all right yes this is um hang on three oh this is going to take forever um mm -hmm. i should count up but 42 weekends and a lot of trifectas and i think they finally realized wait a minute that's a really smart move why don't we get all these people while we can in one weekend some people that's their goal just to do a trifecta some people you know they're going to do the super one year and then the next year they're like oh i'm going to go for that beast but it seems like they finally got smart in terms of well if we're there all weekend let's just capture yes, as many so. bodies as as we can i'm really curious about over there because I've always kind of paid attention a little bit to the rest of the world. You know, a lot's going on in America. So there's races in US and Canada. There's races in England and Europe, a little bit in Australia. But the Middle East has always been sort of, I don't know what's going on there. They had a tough mutter, then it goes away. They have a couple of Spartan races, then it goes away. Like, is it different franchise? Like, uh, I know the guys. Franchise, yeah. Like, I know the guys helping put on this race in Alula, right? Yeah. But do they have all of the Middle East or just Saudi and UAE? Like, how does it work? No, so far as I understand, they have the entire Middle East. So they do events in Oman as well, which is another country not too far away from here. So, so we all think it's the same. So America, we think it's all the same. We don't know. <laughs> okay, so there are different countries, but I know of uh, Egypt, the franchise over there for Tough Mudder is completely different, not connected to Cap Sports. Okay. So, so Tough Mudder recently, they put up an event only for kids. And, you know, I think the previous event they put up might have been in 2019, if I'm not mistaken. So it was really? a bit shocking to see just a Tough Mudder kids event. So Tough Mudder Egypt. Um, so what about, what about 
and I, the, the only race I've done in the Middle East uh, is the Hannibal, which he does it every year. Do you know him? Yeah, uh, that, that is the one in Lebanon, right? That is yeah. the one in Lebanon, yeah. That is a completely different event altogether. Right, but I'm the, saying in terms of races, yeah. uh, and I want to shout out uh, Evan Preparis, who, who got me, who goes every year. He's got a great relationship with them. He brought me a few years ago. He's brought other races each year to give people a taste of that. And I loved it. I had a great time. It was a fun race. There was some of the local you know, terrain is different than you ever see in America. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it had a big sponsor, Red Bull sponsor. It was a lot of fun. And that's been the, my only experience in the Middle East. And that was five years ago. There used to be Desert Warrior Challenge, which was, if not one of the best obstacle course race ever. Hands down, nothing comes absolutely close to, you know, maybe even Tough Mud or Spartan Race. And, you know, later on, I'll send you a couple of videos. I mean, I would say Desert Warrior Challenge is something similar to maybe Savage Race. Okay. So, you know, the obstacles are a bit different, but that team has moved to Saudi Arabia. So hopefully if you're going to Alula, you might definitely see them because the organizers are also from South Africa. Where, you know, most of the guys from Cap Sports are. I'm pretty much sure, you know, they'll try to attend that or you'll see them around that place. So how many Spartan so, races do you get a year? Uh, I'm not sure about the future of Spartan race, at least now. But what used to happen is, you know, let's say October to December, we used to have, let's say, at least one or two. Very rarely, we used to have, let's say, a trifecta. If at all there was a trifecta, it used to happen in another country called Zoman, which is, you know, probably four hours drive. So, you know, that they that's an area where we used to have trifecta quite often. But other than that, most of the time what we happen is you have, let's say, a sprint and a super. And I'm trying to think, when was the last time we had Beast? <laughs> I think, yeah, I think we just had Beast uh, in November, I think, yeah. Okay. In November, there was Beast. There was a trifecta, but that is the one off in Hutter. Okay. But the future of Spartan Race at this point of time, I really am not sure what it is. But Tough Mudder is definitely going to be there. But to answer your question, yes, they are both by different franchisee. And they were a little bit competitive. I think competition is great as long as it is healthy competition. But uh, right now, there are new obstacle course race coming up. And one of the events which I told you earlier on about is taking place this weekend. It is called as Block 20. It is done by the same team, you know, where Ryan Atkins did a bit of a training session. What's it called? Uh, Block 20 OCR Challenge. Block 20? Block 20, yeah. Is that like it blockchain? No, it is more like a uh, CrossFit gym. Do I need to have a block? Do I need to have like an NFT to come do the race? No, no. Did, in fact, later on, I wanted to ask you one question about, you know, an OCR media NFT. Because, you know, and something to do with uh, uh, the unbreakable pass as well. But what the event that is coming up this weekend, if you look at the obstacles, I wouldn't be surprised if that obstacles are probably the best in the world. Can, you pull, the can you pull it up? Can you do like a sh screen share thing? Uh, let's see. OCR challenge. Let me just delete my browser history and I accidentally don't put up it. <laughs> just joking. <laughs> Let's see. OCR Empire. I think I I think I follow them. Yeah, yeah, OCR Empire. They're putting up the event and they're doing that in partnership with uh, Block 20, which is in another Emirate. So let me just try to see if I have it. Okay. Let me see, how do I share the screen? There is present now. 
select the tab. Oh, do you see that? I do not. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Presenting. So OCH. Okay. Yeah. So yes, I do follow this account. Yeah. Um, four kilometers, twenty plus obstacles. Yeah. So, so what, four yeah, kilometers it, is what two and a half miles. Oh, uh, pretty, pretty short. Two and a half, yeah, two and a half miles, yeah. And they're having team events, so they're having like um, a team of four. So team of four male, team of four female, and team of four mixed. And then okay. you can do it individually as well. The okay, individual one is. They were doing, it looks like they're giving away money as well. Yes. So what yes. is 6,000? Is that 6,000 or 5,000 DHS? Oh, let's see. I think it should be DHS. It divided by 3.67. So you're talking about around $2,000, maybe? Probably a bit less than that. Uh, to me, it says right now 0.27. So a quarter of a dollar. Uh, 1.36. Now, are you looking at DRAM? You may want to check the conversion. I put DHS to dollars. No, uh, AD. So it says DHS. Yeah, but that's what we say, DRAM. But if you type in USD to AD, that should give you an accurate because one dollar, I think, is three point six seven. Okay. Yeah. That's yes. That's very different. Yeah. So that is how much dollars? Uh, around maybe two thousand or less than two thousand dollars, maybe. Uh, okay. But that's a team of four. Let me 6, just check 000. it out. Okay, that's $1,633.63. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure if it is given to one person or to the entire team. Most likely, it will be given to per person. So, times that by four. Will, you be, will you be going? Uh, for this event, I won't be going for this one. Why not? It's this weekend. Uh, no, this weekend is my birthday, so I'm traveling to another country, actually. So that's Which country part. are you going to? I'm going to Oman. Okay. Which is literally four hours away from here. Okay. But if you do want to speak to someone or want to get some coverage, I'm more than happy to connect you to someone. Over there. Yeah, that'd be great. I'm always trying. I mean, listen, Absolutely, people, yeah. yeah, I always get reached out to, not always, but I often get reached out to from international events. And I always mm -hmm. say, hey, listen, I would love to come and do social media and a video, and it costs X amount. And most of them say, well, we can't afford that. And I'm like, well, just send me a few pictures, podium pictures. I'm happy to share. Uh, and so I try to do that from time to time because I always want to grow this thing and give a little love where I can. So, yeah, happy to connect you. Yeah, so this OCR Empire, their gym, probably has all the obstacles probably in the entire world. And they're connected with World Obstacle as well. Oh, okay. So, you know, they are the guys who actually go out and do events for obstacle, uh, World Obstacle Series as well. Now, going back to, you know, our session, Matt, what I wanted to ask is... In the world of obstacle course race and hybrid events, what are the changes you've observed, particularly on course in terms of the different obstacles? Well, now, remember that Tough Mudder used to have longer distances. They did short it down, but next year, this year again, they're increasing the distance, right? So Tough Mudder was a 10 mile event. They used mm -hmm. to say, uh, I think they used to say nine to 11 or eight to 10, and it was always 10. Sometimes it was longer. Uh -huh. Spartan, it was supposed to be 5 mile, 8 mile, 11 mile, Sprint Super Beast, but they would play with that some, 
and you could do a super that was 11 miles. You could do a beast that was 16 miles. Yeah. And they realized, yes, that's tough and challenging, but it's not really good for repeat customers. So a few years ago, they said 5K, 10K, half marathon distance. Again, smart move. Took them a while to get there. Um, and then obstacle-wise, you know, early on, uh, there was not a lot of innovation because there didn't need to be. Spartan said, we want to challenge these different muscle groups. You're going to carry something heavy. You're going to go under this really long barbed wire. That was always a thing. Let's make the barbed wire as long as possible. Instead of just making it a bucket carry, let's make the bucket carry as long as we can and up a hill, right? Or a sandbag carry long and up a hill. And the and around the world, they, they started to have much more complicated obstacles. So the first time we ever saw what we now know as the rig was this thing called the platinum rig that this gentleman made in Canada. And the first time we ever saw it was at the, uh, the Vermont beast one year in September. And then a couple weeks later, we saw it at OCRWC and the, the podium at the OCRWC had uh, Ninja warriors on it for the women, because nobody knew how to do these. Like these women were fast, but they got to the obstacles and they couldn't do it. And it's a pretty simple rig looking back on it. Right. But yeah. nobody was training grip strength. Nobody was training how to move your body in space. It was all about running fast and picking something up and going. So, um, Spartan decided, uh, and Joe said to me, cause tough mutter was always making bigger, funner, crazier things. And I remember Joe specifically said to me back then, he said, I'm not going to get into an arm race about who can build the biggest obstacles. That's not what I want to do. Made sense, right? Whereas Tough Mudder is about challenging you, like crawl spaces, tight spaces or heights or different fears. It's a whole different, right, thing. Um, and then finally Spartan got around to starting to make some rigs, um, and they finally started to standardize those. The sprint one looks like this. The super one looks like this. But around the world, in Europe, right, completely different, much more difficult obstacles, lots of swinging and hanging and um, um, uh, lashing and things that are a lot harder. And so we barely see these over here. So we don't do nearly as well at the European championships, we Americans. Um, and it's pretty much still that way. Savage. Uh, has been has been innovating they always like to have one or two really hard ones on there um but spartan has pretty much stayed the same and the other big brand is rugged maniac they're more just for fun they don't really have challenging obstacles that way and then the mom and pop races you know you might get some hard ones but you usually get pretty standard ones there used to be a rat race in london which i believe was 50 miles and they had 200 obstacles Yes, I heard about I heard about that one. They had like a mile even, long monkey bar or something. Correct. Crazy. Yeah, it was a, probably the longest monkey bar, and even Wolf Run, that is kind of similar to you know what Tough Mudder is. So that is something unique as well. And what are your thoughts about the three K runs, the shorter distance with the laser gun? Well, the laser gun uh, seems to be sort of a silly one. They wanted to have it because it has something to do with what they wanted to have to do in the Olympics with pentathlon but not really a skill obstacle racers usually have is it any sillier than a spear throw i don't know i mean uh at least the spear throw like has these spartan roots right like if you're like you know what i mean yeah. like oh spartan and you throw a spear um 
but the 3K as a series, um, I think was pretty cool in terms of seeing some of the best racers race at a short format. So yeah. I liked it, but sadly they're not keeping it um, except for a few championship races. The series at across the world is sprint back to sprint super and beast absolutely and uh, what i wanted to find out matt from your perspective is there a specific event that stands out for you personally either that you've competed in or you've done coverage in well whenever people ask me what my favorite race is for me it always boils down to um the overall experience so and I tend to lean towards the longer ones because it's a longer experience. So if you do a Spartan sprint, it can't really be that memorable, right? Although I think about in the early days, it was always, if it was just the sprint, which almost never happens anymore, there's always at least a sprint and a super. But back in the early days, Georgia just had a sprint. And so, well, of course you were going to do it twice. So you do it first in the morning on the competitive wave, and then you would do an open wave with yeah. your friends or a family member and we would do we would do you know crazy things like i remember when we did a second lap together like we all grabbed two sandbags and you know it's just silly yeah. shit like that right silly stuff like that so you know i always tell everybody that world's toughest mutter is my favorite event and again mm -hmm. it's because i get to spend all weekend with these people a lot of which i don't see except for that one time and then the kinds of memories that you can make when you spend that much time on a course with people. Um, but my favorite memories that I, that always almost come to mind right away is there was a race called superhero scramble, uh, and it was in Florida and they had a night wave and we had gone to this event and most of us had already done two laps of the course because it was only, I think right at three miles, maybe a little bit less. And then at night we all had headlamps on, and a bunch of us did it together, probably 10 of us. And I've got a great picture of us at the finish line. So you're running with a headlamp. You're running at night, going in the water. And one of the first obstacles was just like the simple tire crossing. You know, the tip of, you run through the tires. And everybody grabbed the tire. And so now we carried that tire with you for the whole race. So you <laughs> climbed up the big thing with it. And at the end, there's a picture of us. And we're all holding up the big tire. So that's a pleasant memory. Um, Battle Frog uh, used to have a multi-lap race, and mm -hmm. um, there was one in Georgia, and I did that one with my friend JD. So we basically spent the whole day together, just going around the course and doing all the obstacles. And again, like it's not that the race itself did anything specific; it's more about the person I was with and the experience that I had. I'll always cherish that when my kids were little, they would come with me on the course. My son Jackson and I did a lot of obstacle course races together. Now he's 14, wants to spend zero time with me. But at one time, we did a lot of fun races together. So again, it's always about the experience more than like, oh, well, this race had a particular obstacle or spear throw that I loved. You know what I'm saying? 100%, yeah. And you know, Matt, you're the OG of Obstacle Coast Race. And that brings me to the next question. I'm sure you've seen second generation of athletes in Spartan Race and Tough Mudder. Now, I'm on this Facebook group called Western Spartan. And there I saw the third generation of athlete as well. So it was a grandfather who was probably 56, his son and his son as well. So three generations of athletes doing Spartan race. That was absolutely phenomenal. I'm going to put you in the spot and I'm going to ask you, 
who would be your Mount Rushmore <laughs> for Spartan Race or Tough Mudder? Oh my goodness. Up. Oh, what a great question. What a great question. Well, Mount Rushmore. So I get four people. Is that is that it? <laughs> Can I at least do like a male Mount Rushmore and a female Mount yeah, Rushmore? Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, okay. male and female. All right. So because Lindsay that, Webster has to be there, I'm sure. Of course, of course. <laughs> well, let's let's do the men first, right? Yeah. So if you've got to, if you if you're going to start, you have to start with Hobie Call. So Hobie yeah. Call won every Spartan race through 2010 and 2011. If you talk to anybody who started racing between 2011 and I'd say 2018, they would tell you seeing Hobie is probably part of that story. I saw him on a video. I met him. He was nice to me, right? So it starts with Hobie. Boom, right? Now, then you got to put Ryan Atkins second, right? Because he's been yeah. the most the most titles over the last however many years. And then the next two, it gets really interesting, right? Because you put Hunter on there, right? Hunter has never been like the best Spartan racer in the world, but overall, yeah. he's been on more media than anybody, <laughs> right? Multiple TV shows, huge social media following, even before, I mean, even before social media was big, people knew who Hunter was. Yeah, so even High Rocks, I mean. Well, High Rocks, that's a whole nother conversation, but does do you put Hunter there before you would put, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of some other really successful uh, obstacle racers over the last, 10 years um yeah i i mean i guess you would go hunter and john albin i guess mm -hmm. um but if you ask me again i might change that there's probably somebody i'm forgetting so people listening to this episode you can message us and say how Kempson could, you could also be a good one right Kempson would be great i mean yeah. he's been very successful um uh you're gonna make me stop and look at I don't want to cheat and look at the world championships, but if you're going to do women, right, you would put Amelia first for the same reason you would put Hunter or Hobie, really. she's She was one of the first women that people saw outside of obstacle racing, and then she was an early champion in not just World's Toughest Mudder, but also shorter distance races. She completed the death race, and she she was the only woman outside of Hunter to really become a, like a crossover athlete, right? Yeah. Um, but Lindsay Webster is a considerably much better racer, right? Lindsay Webster is the true goat, right? In obstacle racing on the men's side, you say, who's the goat? Well, you could say Albin, you could say Atkins, you might say somebody else. Lindsay, it's no question, right? True. Lindsay is setting the bar and it's going to take a long time before anyone's even close to the number of titles Lindsay has won, right? So you got Lindsay, you got Amelia, and then I've had two more spots. Uh, I mean, is Chris going to end up being on there? Probably. Chris yeah, Blossky, that's still rel relatively new, but successful at any distance. She's more like Atkins than she is like yeah. Lindsay, right? 2022 was one of her best years, right? Yeah. She won High Rocks World Championships. She won World's Toughest Mudder. Um, and Savage Race as well. Savage Races. She won the Savage Race Championship. So I guess Chris, it's, it's you know, you don't want to say Chris because just because it's so new, but I guess you have to because she's really been racing for a few years. And then I'll have to get back to me on the fourth one, unless you want to suggest something. <laughs> now, talk to us about the book, Matt, that you wrote, that is Down and Dirty, The Essential Training Guide for Obstacle Race in Madruns. What is it that readers can expect from that book? Well, I would say this. If you want a, if you want a nice piece of history, I think it's a great snapshot of that time, okay? 
so if you watch the movie that I mentioned, Rise of the Sufferfest, which you can easily get on Amazon right now, let's see how much it costs. If you have Prime, I think it might be free. Oh. Um, yeah, it's on Prime right now. Um, okay. But I think you might have to pay $2.99 for it. But it's a great, uh, and if you want to include it in the show notes, I can send you the link. 100%, yeah. I'll definitely go ahead and put it in the show notes. Uh, let me see if I can send you a link. Where's the, where's the chat box? Um, uh, if you want to buy that movie, you can also buy it on Apple, I think. But so the book that I got asked in 2013, you seem to be the guy, right? Would you like to write a book? And I said, well, if you want to, if you want to write a book about training, I'm probably not the guy because I'm not the training guy. I'm the media <laughs> guy. But why don't we ask some people? how to train and why don't we write the chapters that way so that's what i did so there's a chapter on you know mastering monkey bars there's a chapter on core okay. strength it's probably all a little it's there's there's one on how to start a group there's how to pick your first race and it's all a little outdated i think at this point but like i said it's a great snapshot of that time and uh it's cool to have on the bookshelf and if you ever find me with it i'll happily sign it for you um, That'd be wicked, yeah. And if you buy it on Amazon, I don't make any money, but that's fine. It's probably cheapest there. I have to sell, uh, I think, 10,000 books before I get any more money for it. And uh, that's probably never going to happen, but it might. Um, so, uh, if you buy it, so if you buy it from Amazon instead of the, the publisher, but I don't even know where you would get it anymore other than Amazon. Anyway, uh, that's the book. Excellent. But I'm what glad I wrote it. I'm glad I wrote it, though. I'm really glad I wrote uh, it. It's part of history, isn't it? It's part of history. What I said to them when I wrote it, because I wasn't sure if it was going to just be online, I said, can my mother walk into a Barnes & Noble and buy it? And they said, absolutely. And sure enough, that, that was the case. I went to my local bookstore. There was two copies. Whenever I was traveling, I would look to see if it was there. And I remember being in Portland, Oregon, and I saw it and I found it. So that was cool. That was nice. I signed it. And uh, there you go. That's absolutely, definitely an achievement, to be honest. Now, Matt, you've been in the space enough since a very long time, and you've had interviews with race directors, event organizers, sponsors, and other podcasters as well. Now, what trends or developments do you foresee in the near future in obstacle course race and even in hybrid fitness, for that matter? What do I see? What was the question? What, what do I see? trends, upcoming trends, do you foresee in the near future? I, I think we are going to see many more hybrid fitness brands. Mm -hmm. uh, events coming. DECA is starting to catch on the way Hyrox did. Mm -hmm. um, I just did my first DECA mile actually last uh, this weekend, two days ago with my friend Clayton. Uh, I've been to a few DECA fit events. I've been to a few Hyrox events, but somebody's coming and I don't know who it is, but there's another brand looming out there that's going to give Hyrox a run for their money. Um, let's just say it doesn't have to be, you know, uh, a brand like Rogue or Under Armour or some fitness brand, you know, maybe, you know, uh, a, a Peloton, not not maybe them, but like some tech fitness tech brand that's like, hey, wait a minute, people are signing up for these events like crazy. Uh, there's a there's so I think that's what we're gonna see, and that's kind of what I love about hybrid is that it's so yeah. much just like those early obstacle racing days where people. Uh, or have an Instagram account and they used to put Spartan in their name or OCR in their name. Now they're all putting hybrid in their name or Hyrox in their name, right? 
and and the questions that are coming so i happen to be uh the admin of a facebook group called hybrid and Hyrox and deca whatever it's called and it's up to i think five thousand members and every day people get in there and say how do i train is there a coach that to me is the symbols of something that's ready to explode you know you yeah. keep reading articles you know in the health magazine the same way you would about obstacle racing. I tried my first Tough Mudder and here's what happened. And now it's, I tried my first High Rocks and here's how to train for it. So it also means uh, that's more, I'll get to be more successful, right? So personally, I'm very interested. If hybrid really grows big, then that helps me who makes content uh, and you who makes content. Absolutely. And in Dubai, there is hybrid fusion. So, which is done by a group called a Spirit Level, which is similar to what OCR Empower is. Hybrid fusion? Hybrid fusion, yeah, and the events are ridiculously good. To be honest, they are slightly tougher than high rocks as well. So the guys who manage hybrid fusion, they are very much into high rocks and they're aggressively competing for high rocks that is coming up in Dubai in just hybrid over two fusion, weeks. Now. When I yes. put in when I put in hybrid fusion, the first thing that comes up is a Ford Fusion hybrid, which is <laughs> no, no. Electric... Try checking it on Instagram. Oh, in Instagram, just try checking Spirit Level. Because no, but I'm saying it's just it's just funny <laughs> that that's what comes up. Yeah. Because the word hybrid fusion, that's two words that kind of mean the same thing. Two makes sense, yeah. Right? Hybrid and fusion. Like yeah. hybrid is two things, fusion is two things. Right? <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Makes perfect sense, yeah. So hybrid fusion race. Hang on. You may uh, want to check spirit lip. Yeah. Powered by you. Next race, November 4th, 2023. So the last race just happened. Yeah. Were you there? No, I wasn't there for that one. What are you doing then? You're supposed to be the guy. What are you doing? <laughs> no, for hybrids, I'm a bit naive towards hybrid. I focus more on obstacle course race, particularly tough models. Oh, race okay. This, is, this isn't good. Their, web, <laughs> their website expired. When you click on the website, it says website expired. So. I, I'm not sure if you're checking. You may want to check spirit level because that's the main website. Well, I'm just, event... just, just so you know, uh -huh. when I type in hybrid fusion, this is what comes up, right? Hybrid fusion race. Brought mm -hmm. to you by Spirit Level, next race, yeah, November 4th, and then the link. So if this yeah, isn't yeah, yeah. correct, they need to change it to say whatever the correct link is. So now I'm going to go True. to Spirit Level. Yeah. And when I go to Spirit Level, let's go to their link tree, hybrid coaching, and they mention, ooh, they got second at Gov Games. Is that true? Yeah, very much true. I mean, these guys are absolute beasts. Beasts. Yeah. They've got a high rock beginner class. They've yeah. got... Uh, spirit level website so yeah this is very different um they so, still need to they still need to change the links on the other one because people will come up and they'll see yeah. it and then uh they'll leave they won't come back and, and the guy I'll, can you respond can you pronounce this for me al Asayel road warehouse road how do you say that al bustle what Wassel. it's called it's al Wassel road okay it's kind of like an industrial area but the guy who's managing that is george crew and he also has a podcast. I feel, like I've talked, I feel like I've talked to him before. Yeah, you 100% would have because he's one of the OGs, especially from the Middle East. And he has a podcast as well called his Hybrid Fusion. So maybe he might have contacted you regarding Hybrid Fusion podcast. He's got a show called Hybrid Diaries. He's got a, he's Diaries. Got a show Hybrid Diaries. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's the co-founder of Spirit Level. Let's see what my conversation with him has been like. Let me quickly check it. Uh, let's see if we've talked. We might have talked on. He's a really nice guy, yeah. Yeah, it looks like uh, we've talked going all the way back to 2020. Oh, okay. Was that when, was that hybrid 
related or was that like? I think it was just about when when Spartan announced they were going to the Middle East. Oh, okay. So and I, yeah, the next question what I wanted to ask is what was your immediate reaction when you found out the Spartan World Championship is taking place in Abu Dhabi? This was during the pandemic era or 2020 to be precise. What was your uh, initial reaction when you found out that the World Championship is taking place in South, uh, Abu Dhabi? Well, I was intent I was going to go. I was kind of excited because you know, one of the things I can say about obstacle racing mm -hmm. is um and this isn't bragging this is just stating what's happened so along with going to lebanon which i would have never probably traveled to i got to go to china for an obstacle race i got to go to mm -hmm. iceland for an obstacle race i got yeah. to go to um andorra for an obstacle race like i've i've traveled literally around uh, spartan racing has obstacle racing has taken me literally around the world right so when i heard abu dhabi i was like i think they're yeah. paying for some flights i would like to go and uh, up until a couple of weeks before that very first one, I was going to go, and I can't even remember now what happened. It was COVID. It was all crazy. Um, but I thought, well, this is probably, you know, evolution of the sport, right? They're getting money from this country, and that's where they're going to try it. Now, I think the bad news is they did it for three years, and they just signed another three-year contract. I think that's a mistake. I think you're going to lose a lot of the audience who doesn't want to make that trip. Or if they make that trip, they're not going to make it every year. But I understand business is business. If they got a big fat check, then they're going to yeah. take it. So that's just kind of how it went. Absolutely. 100% agree on that. And, you know, Matt, have you personally participated in hybrid events such as you mentioned about DECA, but what about Hyrox? Have you done any Hyrox event yet? Or? Yeah, I did the Hyrox in the second or third American event, which was just before uh -huh. pandemic. And it crushed my soul because I wasn't prepared. Uh, <laughs> But they said, try it. So I did, because that's the kind of person that I am. So, And you've also written an article on your website called The Rise of Hybrid Fitness. And in that, it mentions that the first event, I believe it had 6,000 people, right? The very first one? Yeah. Um, I'd, have to, I'd have to look. Um, the Rise of Hybrid Fitness. Hang on, let me pull this article up. I wrote it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it's not plagiarized here. Yeah. Just joking. Uh, it's funny when I put that title in, uh, it come a lot of things come up. Mm -hmm. um, so I need to put up my own my own website. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, the the first the first. Um, oh, I saw you. I saw it on your your LinkedIn post. You actually stated that High Rocks is the fastest growing event in the fitness space, and there are six thousand finishers. Yeah, it was by LinkedIn. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, hang on. I'm reading it now. I don't see 6,000 events. There's, it says a 600% increase from 20 to 2021. Uh, yeah, I don't see it. Oh, is it via LinkedIn? Yeah, but it's the same article. Like I'm, okay, so I'm, it's the LinkedIn article is the same as the one that's on our website. I see. So are the same, same number of participants now for High Rocks events as well? Well, uh, it's definitely it's definitely rising. We were hoping to get more events in America, but mm -hmm. they haven't really done that yet. We've got kind of the same four or five cities over and over again in America, um, but hopefully we'll get more cities here soon.
Now, on LinkedIn, you also mentioned, you know, about the top five athletes in High Rocks. And I did actually make a comment. How do you think Ryan Atkins would fare in High Rocks events? I think he what would do, do I think he would do great. I mean, he would he could uh, he would probably change his training up a little, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think he would do great. I think we're all kind of excited. But when I asked him, you know, in, in, in a in a recent I don't know, maybe a year ago, I even said, Hey, a lot of guys are doing this. What do you think? And he said, Yeah, man, I don't want to be in a gym. <laughs> I want to be outside. <laughs> I wanna so he does trail races and bike races and he ice climbs. So I, I, I get it. Now, now, Matt, let's talk about Tough Mudder Infinity, the eight-hour OCR event with the biggest prize money, which is scheduled to take place in little over a month. Now, what was, again, your reaction when they contacted you about Tough Mudder Infinity in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia? What was the initial reaction? In the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia! <laughs> yeah. So, since... I've been around a long time. I get a lot of phone calls, okay, similar to the one I got from Cab Sports, okay? Many, many, many people have called me. We are working on something. You're the guy. You're the OG. Would you help us? And I always say, sure, right? Just like any good drug dealer, the first call is always free, right? And I'm talk to you. And then if you want to hire me to consult for you, I hope that doesn't offend people, by the way. I don't know if it would or it wouldn't. It's just what came to my head. But if you want to continue to help, you got to cough it up. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. So many times the second call never happens. That first call, we talk for an hour. And, you know, we're talking everything from a random guy who owns a piece of land to legitimate, like, I work for uh this network like i think it was nickelodeon once it was 20 what year and they called me and they were going to do something it's like you know i checked the guy on linkedin like real people like so it's every, it's all over the gamut right we're thinking of this we might do that what do you think about this could we get this many people how soon like just those kinds of questions right so industry expert right that's my that's my talent which again i say to you just stay involved just stay in right like True. 10 years from now, you could be the most foremost blockchain guy because all those guys that came and went, right? Spot on, yeah. They tried, to get, they tried to get rich. It didn't work. Whatever, yep. right? So anyway, whenever I get these calls, I'm like, okay, we'll see, right? So um, we had, you know, the second call and, and I said, okay, so do you think you want to hire me? And if so, can we make this happen? And... I, I believed them. I right away believed them that this was going to happen. But you still don't know. They hadn't secured the money yet, which is why we didn't announce it. I knew that number, 80000 for six months. I wouldn't tell anybody because, and this is another reason why I'm a fan of uh, Nick and the guys, is that they were 98% sure, but they weren't going to announce until they were 99% sure. Do you see what I'm saying? And that yeah. is a good sign. They weren't in a hurry to be a big deal and, oh, it's tough, everybody. So all these athletes, I said, it's going to be hard for me to convince some of them if they don't know the number yet. But, you know, we could just, I, if I tell them it's the biggest number I've ever seen, people, people started making up stuff. They were like, it's 50, right? And I would just say, maybe, maybe it's more. I don't know, right? But um, and again, being around as long as I have, you know, earned me some trust with these athletes that they know I wouldn't call them unless it was real, right?
Because again, I get calls all the time and, and these, a lot of brands want me to connect people all the time. And I'm like, I'm not going to put my name out there and connect you with Ryan Atkins until you, you know what I mean? Like call me in a week if you're serious. And like I said, usually that second call never comes because the idea died. They couldn't find the money. You know, I remember once I visited, there was a local event and we drove over and they showed me like, like they own this land. It's a real thing. Right. And they already had like a, like a gym or something already on the property, but they're like, okay, we want to build an obstacle course and here's the sponsor we're going to have. And, you know, it just doesn't, it just falls through. Right. The same way, like, you know, a movie or a television show falls through anyway. Um, so we started negotiating we started working together and we had, we, you know, it was like, we almost got it, you know, and then it was, uh, okay, we've got the sixth signature of the seven princes we need to sign off on this thing. And again, they wouldn't do it. And then finally, by the time world's toughest rolled around, I said, listen, we got to, people are going to ask me all weekend. We got to start telling them. So, um, I'm excited. We know now it's out there, the biggest prize pool in history. Um, I don't know when I've been, we always want to see the best go against the best, right? That's yeah. always, and and lately it's been pretty splintered, right? Some people at FISO, some people at OCRWC, some people at Abu Dhabi. So here we go. We're going to see some pretty great battles, not only on the individual side, but the team side. So yep. this is as excited as I've ever been about something. I think you recently announced a team from Middle East, which has some of the absolute top class athletes, probably in the entire world. And I'm really not sure well, now. Educate me. Tell me who these people are. Uh, Obeid, I think the guy with Sergey. Oh, hang on. Let me and pull up. I, have a I think he's a Spartan pro athlete as well. Hang on. Let me pull up the Spartan with the little spreadsheet I've made. Are and you talking I'm about team? Are you talking about team Ajman? Uh, no, Is that how you say it? No, I, I don't. Ajman is the name of an emirate. They had the Ninja Turtles. Yes. Picture. Yes. So yeah. he told they kept me, the name Ajman. So he said to me, um, yeah. I said, What's the name of your team? And in America, it looks like, you know, it looks in English, it just it looks like Team AJ Man. And I said, What's Team oh, AJ Man? Yeah. <laughs> he said, It's the name of the city. And so then I Googled yeah. Ajman and I'm like, Oh, yeah. it's not AJ Man, it's Ajman. <laughs> so see the guy one of the team members i think it is obeyed if i'm not mistaken i need to double check on that he actually beat sergey who was the spartan what? world champion by eight minutes get out of here I, and that was in oman and we were completely shocked and even sergey was like this guy is really fast i think he's a spartan pro athlete as well so you know yeah, the team is really really fast to be right, honest well, let's let's and shout these guys struggle. out i want to give them their proper due but i can't find the other I can't find the other teams on my sheet. <laughs> Where the heck did they go? Um, what are the other team members' names? Uh, I'm trying to. I think one of them is Ivano. I, I don't know the name, to be honest, because I know three of them are from UAE and one of them might be from somewhere else. Hang on. Where's my sheet? But the big question is, are they able to run for eight hours? Because, right. you know. That is one of the big questions. And I, I really am not sure. I would like to get your take about VJ Jones as well for eight hours. What is your take on? <laughs> well, remember, uh, uh, we talked to him and mm -hmm. I said to him, he said, 
he's excited. And I said, well, you just never know because if you trade off, so what happens is the whole team has to run the four, four, everybody has to run the first and the last lap together. And then in between two people at a time. So you're going, you're going, you're going, and you don't know how your body's going to respond if you've never run for eight hours, right? You run and you rest. That's sometimes worse than just running because the muscles tighten up, right? Your body cools down uh, or heats up. If it's a thousand degrees there, I don't know. Now, because the weather, I think it's going to be ridiculously cold. So what, don't have to worry about the guys? weather. What's cold for you guys? See, I need to convert it into, because just what we do is... Right little... now, I'll do the math. Uh, no, we do Celsius. <laughs> we'll have to so, so right now it's uh, 20 degrees Celsius. Get somewhere between 20 to 24 right now, but probably in two months' time, say somewhere between 18 to 22 degrees Celsius. Okay, so 18 Which I think is, is perfect. Yeah, 18 is 64 Fahrenheit. That's perfect. That's perfect, right? For eight hours. That's exactly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd say even a little bit colder is perfect because the body yeah. heats up about 10 degrees, that's my understanding. So the 50s would actually be perfect to, to run in. Um, yeah, and then you'll be having ice obstacles as well, hopefully. Right. Well, we'll see how that goes. Uh, yeah. But I'm so excited that there is a tough team competition. There is a tough individual competition. Uh, I'll be doing more posts in the coming days about the teams. So be on the lookout for those. Most of the teams have been announced, but in case other people don't know uh, what and they are. And you'll be visiting Alula as well, right? I will be, I will be visiting Alula. Are you visiting Alula? 100% yes. And Matt, I'm going to put you on the spot once again. The eight-hour infinity finisher for male and female. Who will win? Yeah. Well, now Mark Batris is going to be there as well. Mark Batris, yes. So Batris, yeah. you have multiple World's Toughest Mudder yeah. champions. Multiple. John Albin just agreed. John Albin. Speaking of yeah. one of the Mount Rushmore. So Albin versus Atkins is a big, big battle. And over the years, Albin has almost always beaten Ryan Atkins in Tahoe Spartan Championship, OCRWC. Yeah. Um, and the English, they love him. They love John Albin. He's like their poster boy. So it'll be fun internationally, right? All the North Americans will be rooting for Atkins. And the UK athletes, maybe the Euros will root for Albin, but certainly the UK athletes. So for the women, you have to go, I think, with Chris Lindsay has been has literally not been beaten in an eight-hour race. She doesn't like World's Toughest 24-hour, but she did really good in the toughest. But has she really trained endurance the last five years? Not really. Chris has. Chris has been doing yeah. ultras every weekend. So we get to watch the Chris-Lindsay battle. It will be amazing. I'm going to go ahead and give it to Chris. The men, oh, my God. I want to say it's Atkins to lose. But I think, like, on paper, like, Batris is faster than Atkins, right? Like, Batris's 5K time could yeah. be a minute faster than Atkins, right? Really fast. Over eight hours, I don't know. Anything can go wrong. I don't know. When we get closer, I'll make predictions. How about that? We can do a live show or a, a live – we can interview in person. I'll interview you. We can talk about our predictions. Um, will you meet me there? Like, if I get there, like, Thursday, Friday, will you meet me there? Definitely, take, 100%, yeah. Will you take me to get something to eat? I haven't been to Saudi Arabia, but sure, yeah, definitely. one hundred. You've never yes. been to Saudi Arabia? No, I haven't been to Saudi Arabia, but one of my goals is from a business point of view. It's definitely an area, you know, worth switching into. I'm not sure if you follow boxing at all by any chance. Uh, not as much boxing as I used to. Or, or MMA or UFC, because right now the home of boxing is Saudi Arabia. They have a lot of 
<laughs> yes. <of> money. <laughs> yes. Uh, also, uh, World Wrestling Federation. And uh, I'm in the world of cryptocurrency, blockchain, and AI. And I'm seeing a lot of companies leaving from Dubai and just switching to Saudi Arabia. And one of the reasons, I'm not sure if you know, because uh, they have a massive event on 2030 called as Vision 2030, which is like a mega event. And that's one of the reasons why they want, you know, have, people have to you heard about? Have you heard about the line? Uh, to be honest, I do want to buy something, a property over there. Do you want to tell people what that is? So a line is a futuristic city, which I believe is roughly around... I'm not sure how long it is, but it is just 200 meters in width and it is surrounded by glass, transparent glass. So it is kind of like a movie scene, isn't it? It is futuristic, extremely spooky and scary. But the whole idea is they want to have something called as the 20 minute city. So, you know, everything will be accessible just within 20 minutes. But I, I'm not sure how long it will take to go ahead and complete. But knowing some of the people who are working there, it is much more better than what advertised. So, you know, what you see on pictures and videos, eventually what will turn out to be is definitely much better than that. Uh, what our listeners should do is, you know, go to YouTube and just look at the boxing event that did actually take place between Francis Ngannou and Tyson Fury. Everyone was shocked at the quality of production. Once you have money, everything else follows, isn't it? Correct. So, yeah, but yeah, I do want to buy a property in the line and hopefully we can have a couple of pints over there as well. Hopefully they do allow drinks also. Now, what I wanted to ask you, Matt, is how has Obstacle Course Race community influenced your life? Now, I did go through your website and you did actually state that your office consists of knee-deep mud, <laughs> eight-foot walls and 20 feet rope climbs. You're dedicated to life, your life, you know, to Obstacle Course Race. So how has that impacted you personally as well? Uh, so my friend Christian actually wrote that bio for me. He he was oh. he he worked on the website in the early days, and we're still good friends. Uh, but uh, it's I think it suits. Um, yeah, I think that's that's what's great is why the community works is because if you do a race and then you talk to people and say, "Well, I love this race. How and where are you training?" and then you meet those people to work out or even just talking online. What shoes are you buying? How are you eating? Everything changes. And so it means you're not probably hanging out with the people that want to stay up until three in the morning anymore. You're hanging out with people that think like you, go read yeah. this book, go try this supplement, right? Stuff like that. And so my life has certainly changed for the better for that. I certainly have friends outside of the OCR community, uh, but I have plenty of people that I've met that, you know, like I said, even if I only see them once a year, at world's toughest mutter or at the georgia spartan race it uh it means a lot so i'm forever grateful and you know they know my kids um been bringing my kids to races and some of them some of my kids like know them really well my friend jd i've known through obstacle racing and our kids race together uh as they've grown up together so it's been a huge part that's absolutely great and i have a few questions that that is more to do with podcasting and it is more of a me question sure back in the day what was the very first equipment that you used for your very first podcast do you remember that so i do so there was a website called blog talk radio which still exists if you pull it up i think they got bought by spotify or something but uh -huh. it was basically you would it was a live show so the advantage to that was it, it again it was community involvement so i would post hey i'm doing a show at uh eight o'clock on monday 
and people would be in there in the chat and they would just be talking to each other. They might not even be listening, which at the time I thought was bad. Like, oh, they should be listening to the show. But they're, they're, it's the place they were coming to talk, right, about the show. Um, and then I learned, oh, well, I could do an interview in advance over the phone. And then I could go, because you had to call in. You had to call in with a phone, not a computer. Yeah. Oops. Which is so hilarious to think about in 2012. But that's what I did. You would call in and the number would go live. And it would it would show, but then you could, if I recorded a call ahead of time, I could then upload that file and then play it through. And it's still, it sounded pretty horrible looking back. Like if you listen to the early episodes, they sound horrible, but it's what we had at the time. Um, and then for interviews at the races, I bought a, um, probably at Radio Shack, which is now out of business, but you'd get it at Best Buy. Just one of those little recorders. You know, okay. now they're probably even smaller. But the just a little bond, right? handheld recorder you know mm -hmm. about like two inches and i would hold it yep. go like this back and forth and uh, i gotta say it actually sounds pretty good if you listen to those older interviews uh and now i use you know nicer podcast equipment but that's that's what i started with do you use sure by any chance or samsung or... now i have I've seen sure... you using different mics here yeah now i have a sure microphone that i use for in person and that i usually will have right here if i'm going to do a podcast but Mm -hmm. I didn't bring that today, so I just grabbed my headphones. Now, Matt, with over 500 episodes released on YouTube, what has been the most memorable moment or milestone in your podcasting journey? Is there a specific interview that you thought, I've nailed this one, or this is a celebrity I wanted to introduce, or this is what I wanted to do, or another specific milestone that you wanted to achieve? Well, what I always tell people who ask about podcasts is um, when you start out, you often think, well, I'm going to get this one guest that's going to mean a lot and they're going to share it and it's going to mean so much for me. It is not. Okay. It's you just consistent quality content over time. That's the way to do it. Um, and like I used to, for example, make this mistake and people I see do it now. So let's say I interviewed a trail runner, which I hadn't done in the early days. Now I've talked to a ton of trail runners, but in the early days, I talked to a famous trail runner, right? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to the trail running Facebook groups and post it there. But those people don't care because they don't know who I am. And they've already heard an interview with this guy from someone that they like, from someone that's yeah. doing that content already in there. So until I'm doing trail interviews all the time and people know me and know what it's about, oh, well, let me go check that out. So um, uh, in terms of interviews, that I've done, it's, you know, there were always kind of surprises. Like for some reason, this one, I, I interviewed Joe DeSena several times, but for some reason, one time the numbers really spiked. And I don't know because it showed up in search in a different way or, or what have you. Um, but I've got to interview the stuff, some of the other stuff you wanted to ask about with the Atlanta podcast. I've got yeah. to interview, um, a couple of radio DJs that I grew up listening to. I got okay. to interview. I got to interview um, uh, one of the bands I grew up listening to, the lead singer of that band, and so that meant a lot. And I think I did a really good job with it, so I'm really proud of it. Uh, so those was that really... was that Fozzy by any chance? Because I think Fozzy is from Georgia, right? Atlanta, Georgia. Well, he is, he is, but he's also a wrestler. But I haven't had him on yet. Um, but I had a guy named Kevin Kinney from a group called Driving and Crying, which were huge in the South but never really broke through. 
Um, uh, and that was, I'm really proud of it. I, I've gone back and listened to it because he sings a lot on it. And, and I go back and listen to it and I'm really proud of it. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, I just really like talking to people. So that's why I do it for a living. That's absolutely great. And that's one thing which I mentioned, you know, passion versus what you're good at. You're one of the few people who have most both those things. And a lot of people, you know, what I have noticed is they spend an entire lifetime and they think they're following the passion, but they're just not good at it. So I think, you know, you've identified it and, you know, you're definitely happy about it. And, you know, work is a reward, not a way to reward. Now, regarding your hybrid fitness media that you have, how do you think, you know, hybrid of workout actually helps obstacle course race athletes as well because i know some elite runners in dubai they don't want to try high rocks they are like no this is going to mess up my running schedule so what advice do you have for them well first of all i would say you should probably talk to athletes more than you talk to me because i'm more of a regular person not really an athlete i'm sort of a i mean i'm more athletic than the average american who's not exercising uh mm -hmm. but i would say that they don't have to make as many tweaks as they think to at least try one because they might like it. Um, they don't have to put on the hundred pounds of muscle, for example. Um, so I would say, give it a try, right? Like just, you know, again, something like a DECA that's relatively short. IROX yeah. is another level up. I feel like, you know, it's a much longer duration, but try a DECA stronger, a DECA mile and see what happens. But you did the DECA mile. What was the time? I'll edit the spot. <laughs> you don't have to edit it. Listen, <laughs> just joking. You have to start somewhere, okay? Yeah. Forty-four minutes, fifty-nine seconds, okay? That's good. Not, yeah. not it's not good, but I'm fine with it. It's okay. You have to start somewhere. So this is my mark, and next time I do it, I can take some minutes off of it. True. Now, Matt, I'm from the world of Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, blockchains, and NFTs, and something which we touched base earlier on. What are your thoughts about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency? Well. I uh, learned about it in 2017. Mm -hmm. um, I, I remember a friend of mine was big time into it when it was like at 6,000. Was it Bitcoin. Ryan Woods? No, no, this is not Ryan Woods. Okay. Uh, 2017, it was the, my friend that I was, that I just was at, met at a co-working spot. And I remember it was at 6,000 and he said to me, and we were, you know, you're learning about these people who were, millionaires that had it at five cents right and he said i think it'll be ten thousand by christmas and it was ten thousand like two weeks later so i started uh i started uh, uh dollar cost averaging which I, i'm sure yeah. you know what that is right just putting in 20 bucks every week just slowly watching it do its thing uh but unfortunately i had some months where i didn't make any money for the business so i had to pull it right back out and then 2019 was when I looked at it again because I started talking to Rich, uh, to Ryan Woods about it, and it was it was literally like the peak, like the peak two weeks of that year where it was really just straight up. Yeah. Um, and I bought some, I had some savings, so I bought seven thousand dollars worth, mostly Bitcoin, but a little bit of ETH and a little bit of like Doge, yeah. and I doubled it in like two weeks maybe less. And I was like, well, this is easy. I'm a genius. Um, my wife and I were excited. We we're like, well, this is like, clearly this is going to be like our kids college money. So it started going back down and it started going back down. And I said, well, when it hits what I put into it, 
I'm taking it out. And it did. Sure. It went all the way back down. I think I ended up with a little bit because I hit Doge right at that right time. I bought it at 34 cents and it got up to a buck right when right when Elon was on Saturday Night Live, like just <laughs> yeah. right at that perfect time. So again, I made a thousand dollars, big deal. Um, and when I got out of it, I said, I'm done. Like I'm done. If I can invest again, maybe I'll invest here. Maybe I'll just do stocks. I don't know. Again, you know, I love what I do, but I don't make enough to have a massive savings or a massive 401k. Uh, so I pulled back out. And I am clear that is an investment vehicle. Uh, I am not clear that it is the future of money, uh, which everybody was saying about five years ago. Yeah, I mean, right now there's this new speculating about spot Bitcoin ETF. And what I would suggest from a podcasting point of view, there are a couple of podcasting channels. As in when people listen to your podcast, you get paid. And this is oh. actually done by the podcaster, the godfather of podcasting. He has actually started it called his podcasting 2.2. I'll brief you more about it. Who, and it was started by? Uh, the guy who actually started podcast, you know, the one who uh, launched podcast with iTunes. He's called as the godfather of podcasting. If you tell I, you I don't anyone. know that anybody can take that credit because there were, there, were uh, guys, there were guys that were trying to patent troll and say they invented podcasting. He was the one who did it for iTunes. And he was on Joe Rogan podcast as well. And so now essentially what it is with blockchain and cryptocurrencies, they call it podcasting 2.0. So rather than Spotify having control, you know, it is more of a distributed form of working. But what about NFTs? I mean, how about an OCR media NFT? Or what I'm thinking is from a blockchain DXP podcast, and I'll show it to you how you can do it. You can issue an NFT for every guest who actually comes into your podcast. Now, well, what is I the think, value of it? I'm I think, not sure. I, I, I think that uh, NFTs went from, like, like I think the, the Bitcoin sort of narrative went from, you know, future of money to investment vehicle. I think NFTs went from cool investment to scam pretty quickly. 100% so, yeah. So I don't think I have any interest in that. Um, I did think about it. We, I, there's a guy I talked to who's, um, who's mining. He bought himself a couple of machines and he's mining some tiny thing. And he's, I guess, making a little bit of money with it. And we talked about that idea. Like, well, if you launched a Ryan Atkins, you know, mm -hmm. coin or something, would people buy it? And I just don't think the audience is big enough. Maybe there'll be a big enough hybrid audience, maybe, but I just think, I have a lot of places I can put my time and I'm not going to put it right now into blockchain, but I'm interested in hearing. And I, you know, I, I stay as, you know, relatively current. I mean, I'm not listening to any podcasts or anything about blockchain or NFTs or crypto, which I was at one point. Um, but yeah, there, I'm always there's one kind of interested. One podcast I would urge you to listen to, and that is called is the What Bitcoin Did podcast. And the reason why I'll tell you I want you to listen to it is because the, the host of the podcast, he does stuff murder events as well. Oh really? He doesn't. He doesn't do Spartan race. He doesn't do absolutely any other events. And he's got two guests talking about you know tough mothers. So if you want, maybe you can interview him. And I was going to ask one you, of the have you had him on your show? Uh, no, not yet. But I know him pretty well. What's his name? Uh, the uh, Peter McCormack. Oh well, you should. Uh, you should. He's he started from scratch and he has actually bought a football club in England. He's like wow. a multi. I wouldn't be surprised if he's uh maybe a billionaire now, I wouldn't be surprised if he is. Now, what I really like about his podcast, and that is something which you mentioned as well, if you ask him about Bitcoin, he would say, 
I'm the least person to talk about Bitcoin. That's one of the reasons why I have guests on my podcast, because I ask them to tell me what podcast is. So he tries to limit his knowledge and he does not want to know technical information. So he can ask the questions to the guest. Right. So he owns Real Bedford FC. Yes. He's the host of What Bitcoin Did. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's got half a million followers on Instagram. Uh, I would say, yeah, you should connect me to him. Definitely. He's quite active on LinkedIn. And I did text uh, Josina because uh, uh, Josina once went ahead and launched the Unbreakable Pass, which was an NFT. What was the reaction to that in US? I mean, we kind of knew that it would probably sell about a thousand. Joe mm -hmm. bet me it would sell 3,000. He lost. Um, so, uh, um, yeah, it sold a thousand. And I don't know how, you know, some people just thought it's a cheap season pass. I think there were some people in kind of the NFT Bitcoin yeah. community based on, I was in the discord for a little while and it was some of those yeah. people. Um, but it was mostly just people that are like, is this, is this a good deal on a season pass? Um, I was surprised to hear from people that they had the first unbreakable sort of event at world's toughest and they had a couple hundred people show up for it so that was more than i thought um so good for them <laughs> you know another question what i wanted to ask you know before we wrap up this session matt is something to do with ai and metaverse now every fridays i have a session dedicated only to metaverse now apple is launching the vr headset what are your thoughts about fitness, let's say hybrid fitness, or maybe an obstacle course race, let's say a decade from now in the metaverse, do you think there's some legitimacy to it or is it just absolutely shite? I think it's mostly shite. I think that <laughs> that the novelty of that wears off pretty quickly. I mean, yeah. was it was it 10 years ago they, they, they were saying that, you know, Google Glass and the metaverse and all <laughs> that was going to be a thing. And I think it will probably always have like a gaming application, you know, when people freaked out over, uh, what was it called? What people hunt for Pokemon? Like when, yeah, when that augmented when, reality, when that block, when that happened, people were like, see, it's happening. And again, yeah. the novelty wore off pretty quickly. Right. And so I think, you know, even if you look at, if you look at home training, right, like you can play Wii tennis, right. And that's fun. Um, but if you're going to train at home, even you're either going to be in your gym or you're going to flip on Peloton and like there's a real person on the other side of that. Right. Yeah. So I just think uh, we love to say like the future is this. I mean, if, if you could find old videos from the 80s, I'm sure they would say that. Right. Yeah. And and we'd be thrilled if we could go back to the 80s and show them that you could literally <laughs> order anything on Amazon and it shows up at your house in five hours. Like, that's amazing. But people people want to have interactions people want to be with people they don't want to wear glasses for 12 hours they will some people will for gaming for porn dare i say but i don't think i don't think for a regular practicality i mean don't do you agree i 100 percent agree the only thing i can think of is lex friedman i'm not sure if you heard his podcast uh People hate that guy though, right? Uh, uh, I mean, I have a mixed reaction to his podcast. He has a podcast with Mark Zuckerberg, but they have done it on Metaverse. Now we as users or listeners, we can't experience Oh, no, no, wait, I, I was thinking of somebody else. People don't hate him. Oh. Uh, people, so just, people just, he's just an interviewer. I, I was thinking of that other guy that everybody hates. Um, oh, okay. 
Um, so he has a podcast on the metaverse. So where they try to use, you know, advanced VR glasses, augmented reality, but that is a prototype and it's ridiculously expensive. So, you know, that is so essentially what that would feel is, you know, you're sitting right next to the person, even though you might be thousands of kilometers away. But right. that is essentially what the feeling is. Yeah, and I've I've seen his, some of his interviews, and as a guy that interviews people for a living, I'm pretty critical. And nothing, I haven't like I don't think he's that great. Like I don't. He, he's mostly into science and technology and artificial intelligence, not and into Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That's what he does most of the right. time. But I just mean as an interviewer, when I see people yeah. who have a massive following, you know, he's got 3.5 million subs or whatever. Yeah. I look at like, are they doing a good job? You know what I mean? Like, I don't think I don't think Joe Rogan particularly is a good interviewer, right? But he's yeah. got however many people listen to him. So anyway. True. Now I have two fun questions, and I'm contemplating if I should ask you this question or not, but I'll still go in there. <laughs> go do uh, it. At, at Tough Mudder Infinity, if President Biden and President Trump complete the <laughs> you're event. Not, you're not asking me this question. <laughs> after the event, what do you think they're gonna tell each other? <laughs> what are they gonna tell each other? Yeah. After um, they have done the eight-hour race. Let's see. I think Trump would say, uh, I had the best performance. Everybody knows I'm the best person <laughs> to perform. I was the best. Um, I mean, they're both what? Are they both in their 70s or 80s? I don't even know. I would say late 70s. Late 70s yeah, maybe. I, uh, I do think... Uh, but what would they tell each other? Yeah. Ten years ago, ten. Joe. I think ten years ago, Joe. I would give a fighting chance at beating, but you know, when it goes downhill, it goes downhill fast. And I know that from my own experience. You know, my dad is eighty-nine when he died, yeah. and when my dad was sixty, everybody thought he was forty-five. And when he was seventy, people thought he was fifty. You know what I mean? But then he had a couple of injuries; his hips went, and then it goes. So I think, I think Joe was a lot sprier like 10 years ago, but I think uh, I wouldn't see either of them doing very many laps. I'm not going to say what they would say to each other, though. <laughs> and the final question is, is there a celebrity you think it would absolutely smash OCR or hybrid events, a Hollywood celebrity? A Hollywood celebrity that would smash OCR events. Let's see. Who's the fittest? Well, you know, you always see these guys. They got fit for one movie, but like then do they stay that way? Like Mark yeah. Wahlberg, I think, stays pretty fit all the time. But like when they're going to do a boxing movie, they live like a fucking boxer for nine months. True. You know what I mean? So they're just shredded. You know what I mean? They eat so clean and they're up and they're working out four times a day. Um, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Uh, do you say Gyllenhaal or Gyllenhaal? Gyllenhaal. Uh, then I'm going to go with Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal <laughs> is ripped for the new Roadhouse movie. But how is he the rest of the time? I don't know. Um so I'm going to say, I'm going to say Wahlberg. I'm going to say Maki Mark. He recently did pull-ups as well, right? Apparently sure. he did 40. And I wanted to ask him a question about Hobby Call. Wasn't he trying to do like uh, 24 hours? He was going to do pull some pull-up world record and I forget what happened yeah. with it. I honestly... He's not active on social media as well, right? No, he's never been active on social media. Um, so yeah, I don't know. You should reach out to him. That definitely is. And that's about all, you know, Matt. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners, particularly from the Middle East and UAE? Well, if you want to learn more uh, about what's happening in the world of obstacle racing and hybrid fitness, you can listen to my shows and or watch content on Instagram and YouTube. So if you want to link that things, but it's pretty easy to find obstacle racing media and hybrid fitness media. 
If you Google those things, you'll find most of my stuff on all the platforms. If you want to follow me personally, I'm Matt B. Davis. I'm not that active on Instagram, but I post a fun something from a race or of my family once in a while. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Absolutely. What I'll do is, you know, in the show notes, I'll definitely go and mention all of your details. And thank you so much for Matt for doing this. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, man. No problem.